Amen. If you've got your Bibles today, take a look with us in Luke chapter 12, verse 35. title of this morning's message is our Prepper Parables. This is number two in the series. We're titling this specific sermon, Ready to Go. How many are ready to go? And uh, we're going to see what the Word says today. Amen. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your Word. We pray over the next few moments we'd open our ears, open our hearts to receive all that you have, that we would be those that you said of, that they have ears to hear. God, that we would apply it to our life and walk from this place, changed, transformed, renewed by your word, having eaten of your word today, God, that we would prepare our hearts to be ready to go, and that we would be those that you have said, God, who are your spotless bride, your church, that you have uh, of building up, Lord, of your holy faith and, and praying in the Holy Spirit, and of God, who have purified themselves in a day such as this. And somebody said, Amen. Who likes to pack and get ready? Anybody really good at packing? Man, we are some disorganized people in this place. Uh, I really don't like to pack. I'm an organized person, but I really don't like to pack just because of the headache of it. But I, so I make quick of packing. We're preparing to go out of country this week, and I made quick of packing. My wife, on the other hand, Beth, she'll take a little longer to pack than I will. Ladies, you know all about that. Something I can do in 15 minutes, you might do in an hour. Uh, she's got more stuff to do. Uh, pack than I do. But think about this. What kind of a person, though, doesn't even pack when they're expecting to go on a long journey? I can't even imagine going out of country this week and not packing. It would just be uh, moronic. It wouldn't make any sense. And I would get there, and then you'd have to buy everything new, and I probably wouldn't make the flight anyway. But what kind of a person doesn't even pack when they know they're going on a long trip? We can look at this world today and see that this world is on a collision course. Uh, with crisis on every corner, we know God is coming. It's coming. He's coming. And uh, while many in this world are prepping in, uh, for a soon-coming global crisis, i uh, looked at uh, videos this week about possible stock market things that could happen. And we've seen our oil prices going up and down. And, and all these things, so many people are prepping uh, their 401ks, their IRAs, they're transferring things over uh, to gold. People are buying guns, ammunition, they're stocking food, all types of things that we're doing to prep for what's coming ahead. But how many people are prepping for their eternal journey? Their eternal journey. Even in the church, you can think about it today and look in the status of America's church. Uh, many have settled down in this world thinking Christ's coming is farther and farther away. And I can be honest, I can say that uh, a few years ago, I would have been one of them. A few years ago, even as a pastor, I, I didn't speak much on the rapture or the, or the second coming. I knew I was thinking in my mind, things probably will get worse before he comes. There's, oh, there's things that don't look... I still read Revelation, and I would think, oh, those, those things haven't happened yet. They're not that bad yet. But the more the Lord has been speaking to me, and, and, and through dreams and visions God has given me, uh, it, he's here. Any moment. There is nothing held back, nothing waiting and so we live in a conflict between two worlds. We live as Christians in the spiritual world, but as, as in our body, we live in the physical. And there's got to be a tension in our lives between the physical and the spiritual. How do we balance living here and now, living here and now, but have the anticipation for there and later? Okay? Living with the, the, the tension between here and now 
but live with anticipation for there and later. That's what we're talking about this morning. So if you've got your Bibles, Luke chapter 12, verse 35, we know there is only one hope for this world, and that is the second coming of Jesus Christ. And if Jesus is about to teach us that faithful believers are those who are packed and ready. They're working, they're watching for his sudden return. Let's read together. Luke 12, 35. Jesus said, Be dressed in readiness. Keep your lamps lit. Be like men who are waiting for their master when he returns from the wedding feast, so that they may immediately, everybody say immediately, immediately open the door to him when he comes and knocks. Blessed are those slaves whom the master will find on the alert when he comes. Truly I say to you that he will gird himself to serve and have them recline at the table and will come up and wait upon them. Whenever, whether he comes in the second watch or even in the third and finds them so, blessed are those slaves. But be sure of this, that the head of the house, if the head of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would not have allowed his house to be broken into. You too be ready for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect." You ever met somebody who uh, played church? How many of us played church for a while? Anybody ever played? I played church a lot. Somebody who appeared spiritual but maybe made uh, God's priorities their own. Or maybe, like I said, we've played that game a time or two. Jesus here is talking about a Jewish wedding. All right? And let me explain it a little bit so you can get some background. A Jewish wedding... Uh, I'll go into it more in a few weeks when we go into a little bit more of the end times series that we've, i got planned for a few months from now. But a Jewish wedding could happen, it happened on an, on an evening, and they would have this ceremony, but then they would have a week-long uh, festival, a feast every night. And initially, uh, you would go to the bride's house and have the ceremony, like what we would do, and then you would go in a procession to the groom's house where he had prepared a place for his bride. And he had, if he was a wealthy man, he would have slaves or servants. And those slaves or servants would have to, if you, you know how much work it takes to do a wedding? We have a wedding in our family this year. It's a lot of work uh, to do and, and to have a wedding in, in the modern day. The Jewish wedding is no different. And so these mass, this master, these slaves or servants, they'd be preparing this place. And there would be this kind of gazebo that they would live in, like a tent in the backyard and all these beautiful things. And so the slaves would have to be prepared. But they lived in a day when you didn't have cell phones. There was no texting. There was no emails. So the slaves didn't go to the ceremony. And sometimes that ceremony went late into the evening. And so you may not know when it was going to get over. All right? So they would just show up at the door, the whole wedding procession. And that slave had to be ready. And we know that the husband and the bride and the wedding party don't want to be knocking on that door too long if they're supposed to just come right on in and keep the party going. And so that's kind of the, the place that Jesus is talking about today, that these slaves had to keep the house decorated. They had to keep the lights on, the front porch light on, the lamps lit in all the rooms, not knowing when the party would come to their house. And they had to keep working, watching, and waiting. And that's kind of where we are today. And we're going to take this and understand that Jesus is us, us in the church. In this parable, who should you and I be? Who are we in this parable? You and I are the slaves. You and I are the slaves in this parable. Uh, Christ is the master. We're his servants. And we know today that we're bought with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. And we're bound to him. But if you look in the Bible, 
Even though we know that we're the bride of Christ in this parable, Jesus is really talking to us about being his slaves. You know that Moses, all of the prophets, and the apostles all called themselves slaves of God. Uh, it's listed in every person who had the Spirit of God in them as slaves of God. You know, we talk about freedom in Jesus Christ, but it's not the same kind of freedom that the world talks about. If you think about it this way, uh, people in the New Testament and even in today's society, when we say slavery, we, we think of something bad. We think of being inferior. A slave is someone inferior. It would have been no different in Jesus' day. Slaves were lower-class citizens, and slaves were at the bottom of the tier. There's women and children below them, and, and slaves are right above. It was the, one of the lowest classes of society was being a slave. But because, you know, we look at self-expression today, we look at independence today, we, we say, well, it's a free country, I'm free, I've got a right to say what I want to say. We've got rights, we've got independence. Sometimes in, in, the, back, in the Bible days, you would be so poor because there was a great uh, class difference between rich and poor. You could die being poor. You didn't have welfare, you didn't have government assistance, you didn't have all these things. And sometimes you would and take your family and you would find a rich patron and you would say, we will enslave ourselves to your household because under that rich man, though you were poor, you would have a roof over your head. You would have food on your table and if he was a good master, he might even let you buy your freedom eventually. And you would have sometimes more rights as a slave than you would as a uh, free man. Because if that, slave, or if that slave owner, that master was a good master, he had a good reputation, he would even give you things of his to go do business in the marketplace and get into special places. And he would put his stamp of approval on that envelope and you could go right up to that important person or that important judge and you are going in the master's name with the master's authority. And this is what Jesus is teaching us today. We think sometimes that independence is so good that life in this world is so free that I want to be my, make my own decisions, live my own life, do what I want to do, but we don't understand that living that way will get you into spiritual poverty. You'll be broke when the, when the, do, when the check comes in and the bank clears. It, you'll have nothing. But Jesus is saying, if you'll just know that I am a good master... I'm a humble, serving kind of master. And if you'll just be a slave to me, you'll be better off than you ever would be on your own. And I, I pray that the world, under, I hope your family understands it. I hope you're helping to teach your family that, to teach your loved ones that, because it's better to be in a slave in his courts than a thousand elsewhere. Right? It's better to be one day in the presence of God than anywhere else. And I want to be a slave of God because that's when I'm really free from my own worries. Does that make sense? Do you see the imagery there? That's when you're really free is when you're a slave in Christ. You've got more rights, more authority, more provision as a slave of God. And one author said it this way. He asked this question. What is the posture of your life? I think about being a slave. And if I could look at my life and would my life illustrate... Would the posture of my life, you think about posture, you know, a slave as a servant. Would the posture of my life be that of a slave? Before we can even get into this parable, we have to come to that understanding and ask myself, you know, do I love Christ enough that because of His purchase of my soul, because He redeemed me from the pit of hell, do I think it a reward to give up my right, my rights, my independence, 
all the things that I hold dear to say I'm a slave of God? Do I think it worth it? Because that's salvation. If you think it's worth holding on to pieces of our own life, pieces of doing what I want to do, thinking what I want to think, I want to be angry when that person does that to me. I want to hold that grudge. I want to hold that unforgiveness. I want to have the right to get angry. We give up all that when we come to be slaves of Jesus Christ. I give up my rights to gain His rights. Amen? We were slaves. What's the posture of your life? Is He your loving Lord and is He your merciful Master and are you bound to serve Him? Because once you understand that, then He asks this question. We can get into the parable today. What should you be? And the answer is faithful. Faithful servants. Look at these guys in this passage. They were not only watching, but they were waiting and working. And let's going to break this down. A working, waiting, and watching this morning. So, how many people have had children get married? Kids? All right, here we go. So, did you do any work? Did you have to prep for the wedding? Yeah, a lot of work. Here we find these slaves working in preparation. They were helping the master prepare a home for his new bride. And you think of all the work in it. And what Jesus is saying today is, what is your work all about? Can you imagine if uh, this master had come here and the slave said, you know, I know you gave me this to-do list before you came back, but I had to run to the store. I had to go get some errands. I had to go do these things. I had to drop my kid off at soccer practice real quick. I know I'm your slave, but I had to get these things done. They were important. You think about that. Is that not often what we do as the American church? Here's Jesus' to-do list. Here's His work. Here's His kingdom work. And He says, I'm soon coming to bring my bride to this great marriage supper of the Lamb, and I want everything to be ready for when I come knocking on the door. But whose to-do list are we doing? Is it kingdom work that we're doing? That we look at the church and we say, what's the posture of my life? Because if I'm a true slave, if I've truly given up my rights... Maybe God has called me to give uh, part of my finances away. That might be something. But maybe God has called to give some of my gifts, my talents, my treasure. Maybe God's calling you to give up some of your time, your commitments. Maybe He's calling you to reorganize your priorities or, or to get involved in your community. It might not even be your church. It might be something that only you can do in the community for His kingdom work. Tons of things. Every person in the body of Christ has been called to do a specific work. My work will not count for your work. The worship team's work as worship leaders will not count for your work as worship. You don't get their, their, their credit card for worship. You have your, your own worship account for Jesus. All these things, every single person in the church is responsible to do the work that they've been called to do. And so he's saying, are you working today? And the next one he goes into waiting. He says, I want you to be dressed ready. How many people got dressed today before you came to church? Nobody rolled up out of bed and came here. Thank the Lord. Uh, We appreciate that. We love you for it. Ephesians 6, 6 says that slaves of Christ do His will from the heart. And we look at the heart of us and we say, are we dressed and ready? Men, how many of you have never waited on your wives to get dressed and ready? Good. No. Uh, (laughs) Ever waited on your spouse to get dressed and ready? If you haven't, you're not married. Uh, Literally, what Jesus is saying here, he's saying, I want you to be ready to go when I come knocking. And he says, the the dressed and ready part means loins girded. Okay, so if someone had a a robe, 
in the, old, in the New Testament times, they wore a robe. What they would do is to have your loins girded basically meant that you would have a robe on, you would pull the bottom part out like a diaper, you'd pull it over, and you'd tuck it into your belt. Not a fashion statement we want to make today, right, youth? Uh, and so you're ready to go. Your, your legs are ready to go. You can run now. And you're ready to work. So when it says to be dressed and ready, it means I'm dressed to do a hard task. I'm either dressed for battle sometimes, I'm dressed for working, or I'm dressed for serving. I can get down on my knees. I can run when my master says run. I can fight if my master says fight. And so he says, are you dressed and ready? Are your loins girded up? Which means uh, to work hard, and it literally means to be ready to go. Are you dressed? I think about the things, that, all the things in the world today that we put on ourselves. Sometimes we put on labels that other people label us. Maybe it's uh, things that they say who you are and what you're like, and you just begin to take those things on yourself. Sometimes we put on all kinds of things like TV. We put on things from Hollywood, our ideas of what love is, our ideas of what marriage is. We put on all these things that, that are unholy robes. But Jesus is saying, are you ready? Are, is there anything on top of you burdening burdening you down that is hindering you from being ready to go? Is there anything in our life that we could loose ourselves of to say, God, this thing is, 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 is not comfortable. This thing is not uh, keeping me where I can work for you, where I can serve for you. God, where I can fight for you. There's something in my life keeping me from fighting, working, or serving. I've got to get myself ready. I've got to get myself ready to go. First Peter chapter 1 Verse 13 says, Therefore prepare your minds for action. Keep sober in spirit. Fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. The Bible talks about having the shoes of the gospel on. Are we dressed and ready to go? There used to be a song uh, back in the days growing up, when I was growing up in Southern Gospel. Uh, I'm getting ready to leave this world. I'm getting ready for the gates of pearl. You may even know that song? Getting ready to leave this world. How many of us could say, God, there's nothing in my life hindering me from being ready to go? May that be our prayer today. And he says the next part is watching. Lamps lit. I meant to bring from my office one of the lamps that they would light. A little bitty small uh, clay pot, basically, with a little bit of oil and a wick in it. And often that would run out pretty quick. That little bitty lamp would light up an entire room. It would be like a candlelight. Those of you who have oil lanterns for when the power goes out, something similar to that, but much smaller. And he's saying, you don't know when I'm coming. So you need to keep full up those lamps, and if they start growing dim, put some more oil in it, because when my bride comes, I want the house lights to be on. How many people leave the porch light on for when company comes? Right? It's rude of you if you don't. Turn it on if I'm coming, Right? Leave your porch light on, because one, I know that you're home, and I can see you, and two, you can see me. Let us be a people that would fill ourselves up continually on the presence of the Holy Spirit, letting the flame burn brightly so that we can continually see Jesus Christ coming, and He can find us. I want Him to be able to find me when He don't have to start looking around and say, wonder where Heath is. Is he here? When He comes, I'm going to be ready. When he comes, I want to be shining brightly. And I want to say, Jesus, here's the door to my house. And I see you. Just beam me up, Scotty, right? I want to be ready to go. Are your lamps 
lit, as there are dark places in our hearts, things that we don't want Jesus to get to, that, that secret place, those things that happened to you in your past, or those things that you want to cover up and you're ashamed to give up, or you're ashamed to let Him in or confess to another person, those places got to get lit up. Because I want every area of my life to be shining. I don't want any dark places in my house. I don't want any dark corners in the depths of my soul that says, Jesus, I don't want you to go there. I don't want you to look there. That's, that's too uncomfortable for me to talk about. That's too, too uh, uh, shy. That's too private of an area of my life. I'm embarrassed about those things. But the Bible says, get everything into the light and let Jesus Christ shine on you. Let's leave our porch light on, church. Be ready for Jesus. One author says this, that he's not just speaking about being awake and being alert, but he's speaking about looking out and looking up, to be vigilant, to be alert, not to be caught by surprise. And all of this right here, Jesus is really speaking about anticipation. Sometimes he's making us wait, for those of you who know that song. Think about this. I looked at the Bible, or I looked at the dictionary, what in- anticipation really means. The literal root word of anticipation. You know what it means? It means to act in advance. I thought that was awesome. I want to be anticipating Jesus' return, which means I want to be acting in advance. Acting in advance as if He's already coming, as if I know He's already here. I want to be doing the very thing I'd want to be doing on the day He comes to come. Right? I want to be acting as if it's already happened. I want to be living in the kingdom now. I want to be anticipating, expecting, foreseeing, prepared for, looking forward to, acting in advance. Ever been in your home, busy doing something, and someone knocks on your door, and you weren't expecting it? And what do you do? You're in the shower, your hair is wet, you got the curling irons in, right? And, uh, and your makeup's not done, and you say, just a minute, I'm coming, right? Or some of you don't even answer the door, right? We were talking about this in staff meeting. Some of we don't even answer the door. Well, let me say it this way. There will be no more minute when Jesus comes. There will be no more just one minute. I'm coming, Jesus. When he comes knocking on the door, he says, I want my servants to already have it come and open. When he comes, there's not going to be a time of repentance. There's not going to be a time to say, well, wait a minute. I'm, uh, I gotta, no, it's too late. It's gone. There's not even one more minute. He says, I want you to be with your hand on the doorknob, ready to you. And you see me coming because your porch light is on. You're dressed and ready. And your hand's on the door. You're just looking out the window in anticipation for when you see Jesus coming down your driveway. You know. And see, so many people in this world don't look. They're not even, not even looking. They're not even aware. They're not even going to be watching out the window, much less dressed and ready, hand in the door. Can you see the imagery that Jesus is saying here of what the personality, the character of our church must be like? That it's not, I'm in the back bedroom doing my own thing, or I had to run to the store somewhere. It's that, no, it's like uh, when my, do- my, my wife was jogging yesterday or the other day, and Ari, she just stood on the couch and looked out the window, just watching her mom run up and down the driveway. You know, it's like, it's like that. I got a picture of that. We are supposed to be looking out the window, looking across our front porch with the light on, hand on the doorknob. As soon as you see Jesus drive down your driveway, you're like, let's go. I'm ready. I'm packed. Let's go. But what kind of a church are we? What kind of a Christian am I? How many times can you, what, what does my life look like? 
Throughout my day, how many times my, in my day, in myself included, I'm, I'm as guilty as any, do I think about his return? Do I think about, is my hand on the doorknob? I mean, that kind of a, a readiness, that kind of imagery. Because if I live that way, what would my life look like? What would my personality be? What problems would I really be worried about? Because I'd be like, you know, I know I'm supposed to vacuum my house, but Jesus is on his way. You know, it's like, now please vacuum your houses. I'm not saying that. But I'm saying, spiritually speaking, all the things of this world that trouble us, all the things of this world that worry us, all the things of this world that guilt us down. But if I'm just looking out the doorknob, holding on the doorknob, looking out the window and say, God, I am ready. Working, I'm waiting, and I'm watching. I'm doing kingdom work. I'm dressed and ready. My lamp is lit. And he says, when should you be? Always. He repeatedly says throughout Scripture he's coming as a thief in the night. Think about how a thief works. He watches the home and he plans his entrance when nobody is awake. And he sneaks in, in and out, quickly and undetected. I believe God is speaking so very much today to many pastors about a sleeping church in America. It's time to wake up. It's time to wake up. Who likes? How many people like to stay up late? We got late late nighters, right? My wife and I are opposite. I can stay up till two or three in the morning, and she can wake up at six. All, I, I don't care about waking up early. But the older I get, <clears throat> the more I realize I can't stay up as late as I used to. And these night watches, he says, I want you to be ready in the second watch and even the third. In Roman days, in, in the Roman calendar, the Jews had a thir- third three watches, and the Romans had four. And Luke's writing from the Roman perspective here, and he, he says, the, from, I want you to be ready at the second watch, which is about 9 p.m. to 12 a.m. How many like to, can stay up to 12 without falling asleep? All right. You'll be all right. What he's saying, he's like, I want you to stay up even to 9 p.m. to 12 a.m. just in case I come that late. You know, for some of us, Jesus is going to come before we die. He may just come before we die. That's the second watch. It means that you should be ready if He comes, even at a moment that we're not expecting. Even it's at the, it, it could be any moment. He could come before midnight tonight. Jesus could come back. But some of us, it may be the third watch. And some people would say, well, He's not come. I've seen Him for years. Everybody's been preaching. We're closer now than we've ever been. And you're thinking, oh, well, duh. It's closer. It's further along than it's ever been, you know. It's, of course He's coming now closer than He's ever been. But for others, we may taste death. And third watch is 12 a.m. to 3 a.m. We may taste death before He comes, but you know what? It still will not be too late. We will rise if we remain faithful And to the end, Titus, Paul reminds us, chapter 2, verse 13, are you looking for that blessed hope, that glorious appearing of that great God and Savior, Jesus Christ? In Ephesians, he wrote, Awake, O sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. You know, some in this world are partying late into the night through this life. It's nothing about fun and games. And you know what? They're celebrating before the party rarely ever began. The true celebration is not until we see Jesus come. And until that time, we're supposed to be working, waiting, and watching. And let us be careful not to start celebrating with the world too early. Because we're celebrating without the groom. And what would a wedding be like of people celebrating before the groom was there and the bride? 
before they were united. And so let us as a church not get caught up into partying with this world and others in this world. You can think, uh, those of us, you may be in this room, we're so tired of all the pain this world offers and we just want some relief, we want some peace. But Jesus said, hold on. I may take a little longer than you might want to stay awake for. It may be a little tiring for you. It may be a little worrying for you. It, it may be that you feel like, I've just, God, I don't have enough to fill up again and again, and I need to keep my lamps lit. I need to keep working. I keep waiting. My eyes are getting tired. God, God can't I just take a nap? He's saying, hold on. Be faithful. I'm coming. Even if it's going to be late, late, late. Even if it's after your bedtime. Even if you just want to go to sleep. You want to give up and just die and go, just wait. Hold on, I'm coming. And how will he come? Let's look real quick. Luke chapter 12, verse 41. Let's read this next passage because it goes with it, with it real quick. Luke 12, 41. How will he come? He says he's coming to serve you. He's coming to serve you. He's going to be the servant king. For, Luke 41. Peter said, Lord, you're addressing this parable to us or to everyone else as well. And Jesus said, Who then is the faithful and sensible steward? whom his master will put in charge of his servants and to give, over, uh, give them their rations at the proper time. Blessed is the slave whom his master finds so doing when he comes. And truly, I say to you that he will put him in charge of all of his possessions. But if that slave says in his heart, now listen to this, my master will be a long time in coming. And he, then he begins to beat the slaves, both men and women, and to eat and to drink and to get drunk. And the master says of that slave, the master of that slave will come on a day when he does not expect him, and in an hour he does not know, and cut him into pieces, and assign him a place with the unbelievers. And that slave who knew his master's will, this is key, listen to this, that slave who knew his master's will, and did not get ready, or act in accordance with his will, will receive many lashes. But the one who did not know it, and committed deeds worthy of flogging, will receive but few. For everyone who has been giving much, much will be required, and to whom they entrusted much of him, they will ask all the more. What is he saying here? Number one, he's going to reward the faithful. Jesus is coming, and he says that I've asked you to gird yourself up and prepare yourself for working, serving, and battling. But when I come, I'll be a different kind of groom. I'm going to come, and I'm going to come and serve you. You see, Jesus is our reward. He's got to be that valuable in your eyes and mine. He's got to be your reward because when he comes, what kind of a groom serves everybody in the bridal party and then cleans the dishes and stays late to put up all the decorations at a, at a wedding? You think about it. That's what he's saying. He's saying, I have thrown this big wedding, but when everybody gets there, I, the groom, will serve everyone. What kind of king? See, the, the groom and the bride, you know, you go to a wedding, there's like king and queen. We, we honor them, we shower them with gifts, we praise them, we watch them dance and kiss and, and all these things, and it's just this wonderful thing, and it's all about them. But Jesus is turning it around, and he says, I'm coming to make it all about you. You're going to make it all about me, and I'm going to make it all about you. What a perfect marriage. That's what it's all about. He's saying, who is the faithful ones, the ones without blemish? In Ephesians chapter 2, we know that we're saved by grace through faith in Christ alone, not as a result of works, but that we're, we are created to do good works. What does that mean? It means the faith that Jesus is calling you to have as His church is a fruitful, 
kind of faith. It's a faith that in itself saves you, but the result of that faith is producing a life that is changed and good working. It is a fruitful faith. And he says, it's not a, I'm, not looking, I'm not coming back for people who are just sitting and waiting on me for returning. I'm looking for people who have been anticipating, working in advance, already working, waiting, watching. It's a faith that's perfected by works that James says. And so you think about this. He's coming to reward the faithful. He's coming to serve those who serve Him. And it's, think about it this way. Do you have faith in His return if you don't love your neighbors? Do you have faith in His return if you're not using your gifts through your local church? Do we have faith in His return if we're not compassionate and helping the poor? Do we have faith in His return if we're not feeding the hungry? And do we have faith in His return if we're not eagerly getting involved in the needs of our community? Who's it really all about? I'm anticipating His return. My life is for working and waiting and watching for Him because He's coming as my servant king to these faithful slaves. And what Jesus asks for, church, He's willing to do Himself. But He's also coming to punish the unfaithful. Who's the unfaithful? Billy Graham said this. He said, Salvation depends only on the work of Jesus Christ and on the cross and on the fact that you've received Him as your Lord and Savior is good. But he said this, but after salvation, I am sinning every minute of every day if I am not working for my Savior and abiding in Him. We're saved by faith through Christ alone, faith through by His grace in Christ alone, but we are sinning every day if we do not work and abide in Jesus Christ. And He is coming for a type of person who's not just faithful in name. You see, he, he takes these servants. He says, there's all these servants in my house. And they're all called my slaves. They're all called people who are, they're saying they're my slave. But some of them are working, watching, and waiting. But others of them have started parting a little too early without me. And other ones are so overcome by sleeping that they've fallen asleep and haven't been waiting for my return. They miss me even coming. And he says, for those they'll be cast as if they weren't my slaves at all. They'll be taken away as if they were unbelievers. And it says, to those that knew a whole lot about what I had told them to do, those who had heard the word preached often, had gone to church most of their life and had heard Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night services, those who had their parents who had taught them Bible studies, those who knew they were supposed to pray, knew they were supposed to give, knew they were supposed to get involved in their church, knew they were supposed to feed uh, the, the hungry and clothe the naked, visit those who were sick and care for those and love their neighbor as themselves, those who knew all that but did not do it, they will suffer a harsher hell than anybody else. Hmm. And those who only knew a little bit, they'll still suffer a hell, but it'll be a lighter hell. Now you think about this today, and I was thinking about this in view of the American church. For many of us who've been raised in church all our life, we've got no excuse. I got no excuse. I can't unlearn what I know. And it's not about pleading ignorance before God. If you say, well, maybe I just won't learn so much, then I won't be responsible for so much. Isn't that what the first thing you think? Uh, maybe, maybe I just—I don't need to go to church. But then, I, then I don't have an excuse. You know enough that you should go. You're already too late. It's already too late. 
Lord, help us, the American church, us in the American church. I told you last week we're the richest people on the face of the earth. Even if you made $30,000 a year, your whole income, your whole family income, married uh, with two kids, you are the top 15% of the richest people in the world just making $30,000. We are the most wealthiest church in the entire world. We're the most knowledgeable church. We've got more Bibles in every corner, in every bookshelf, every closet. People got Bibles in their attics in America. We've got more clothing. We've got better health care. We've got more education than most places in the entire world. And we have the ability to get the gospel around the world. We are going to be gravely responsible, every single person who is a part of the American church, for doing great and mighty things for the kingdom of God. Because to whom much is given, much is required. So think about this. You and your family, your budget, your time, your talent, your treasure, you and I will be responsible for every sermon you've ever heard, whether it moved you to tears or caused you to have an emotional response or not. You've heard the Word. I've heard the Word. I've read the Bible. I'm responsible for every word I've ever heard. We will answer to God for not being faithful. But think of this. This is the good news, is that if you are faithful, you're not going to be punished at all. There's no punishment for you. If you call Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior, you give up your life for Him to serve Him, to be working for Him, to be watching for Him, to be waiting upon Him and saying, Jesus, I'm preparing my heart. No, I'm not perfect. No, I don't have it all together. But what I do have, I give you. If you have that kind of an attitude, that heart response, it's not about what you do or don't do. It's not about earning your way into heaven. It's your heart. And faithfulness means I'm simply full of faith in my Lord. I believe Him. I trust Him. I give my life for Him. And I, go back to the very beginning of the sermon, I am a slave of God. I give up my rights to have better rights in Him. Worship team, would you come? Faithfulness is the key. The Lord isn't really slow about His promises. Some people think slowness. But He's patient for your sake, not wanting anybody to be destroyed, but everyone to repent. Don't lose hope today, church. He's coming. He's coming. Faithfulness is the key. Well done, good and faithful servant. Well done, good and faithful slave. Billy Graham also said, The hope of the second coming is a powerful incentive for service. How will He find you today? Will you be working kingdom work? Will you be dressed ready? Will you be dressed and ready with your eyes looking out the window, the porch light on, hand on the doorknob, saying, Jesus, everything you've given me, I've invested it in your kingdom, my time, all my talents and giftings, my finances, my treasure, the things I hold most dear, my children, my family, I've put it all into your kingdom. It's all about your kingdom, God. And that he would say, well done, good and faithful slave. You've been faithful with much, and now I'll reward you with much. Come on in. No eye has seen, no ear has heard what God has in store for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. That's every single person in this place today. You have a faithful calling, a duty, a responsibility before Jesus Christ. You have time, you have talent, you have treasure to give your God. And the party ain't yet. It's not time to slack off and get careless about this life. It's not time to get thinking about this world and what I can gain or attain, but saying, Jesus is coming. This world is not my home. Don't lose hope. And for those of you today, you feel worried, 
drowned out of this world, you feel depressed, overwhelmed, stay alert and stay awake. Your redemption draws near. Don't give up. Don't lose hope. Jesus. Hallelujah. Father God, this is your word. Lord, I've given it as you destructed, Father, that we would receive it. Lord, with open ears, open hearts, God, may it come down to the depths of us. And I pray in the next moment, if anyone is here not ready to go, not ready to go, God, that today would be a day of eternal change, day of salvation, day of fullness of the Holy Spirit. If you're here today, you say, Pastor Heath, if he came today, I wouldn't be ready to go. If he came today, I wouldn't be ready to go.